Welcome to the QAV Investing Podcast. My name's Cameron Riley. I'm the host of the show, along with my friend, Tony Kynaston. If you're brand new, let me just take a minute to explain what you're listening to. So uh, Tony's been a mate of mine for uh, 15 years at this stage. He's a very, very successful investor. He's been a professional uh, investor for 25, 30 years. And um, he's developed a methodology that he uses to help him invest. It's, he calls a QAV, quality at value. It's a checklist where we look at a bunch of metrics that are publicly available and we score the stocks based on those metrics. It's a form of value investing. Um, it's you know relatively conservative, low risk, uh, relatively low effort. And uh, he's been getting an average compound annual growth return of about 19.5% over the last 25, 30 years. So that's what we talk about on this show. We teach his system. Uh, We answer a lot of questions from our uh, club subscribers and we talk about what's going on just generally with investing. So that's the show. Um, There's a lot of terminology uh, that you may not be familiar with and processes and that kind of stuff if you listen to this episode and it's your first episode. But if you want to hear more, you can go back and listen to the archives. And if you want to hear about Tony's background and the checklist and how it works, I recommend going to our website, qavpodcast.com.au or in your podcast app, scrolling down and looking for episode 301, 303 and 305. They're sort of the uh, episodes where we go into those in um, more detail and you can learn a lot about the background behind this and Make your way through it as you go. You'll learn about the terminology and the methodology. Um, This week on the show, we're joined by one of my sons, Taylor Riley, who's a QAV investor. Uh, We talk about flatulent labels, redefining how a stock comes out of being a Josephine, our portfolio performance for the financial year, a pulled pork on CCP. Uh, We talk about Greenblatt and leaps, uh, when to sell after a 3PTL breach, whether or not MAM should be on our buy list, what to do with stocks we get from a demerger, what to do with MXI, uh, more about property versus shares, and whether or not we need to check for a qualified audit if it's an ASX 200 or 300 company. That's coming up on the show. Uh, Without any further ado, let's get on with it. Welcome back to QAV. I think this is episode 505. We're recording this Tuesday, the 8th of February, 2021. It's my wife's 43rd birthday today, so I'd like to wish her a happy birthday, even though she doesn't listen to this or any of my podcasts, so she'll never know I said that. But I said it, and I know I said it, and that's the important thing. With me in my office today, is uh, my spawn from a, a previous wife, Taylor. Welcome to the podcast again, Taylor. It's been a while. Howdy. Thank you for uh, having me on. Oh, well, it's always a... It's been a long time. It has been a long time. I think 2019 was the last time. I got so sick of him asking me stupid questions. I said, just come on and ask Tony. Welcome to the show, Tony. How's uh, Cape Shank been treating you this week? Yeah, lovely. It's beautiful down here at the moment. It's uh, sunny. The wind's died down. Lovely. Absolutely beautiful. How's the golf going? Really good. Yeah, I had another good round yesterday. Um, went and played on the RACV course, which is the public course next door to the National, and shot a great round, so I'm very happy. That's good. Glad you're having a good time. 
What else has been going on? You got any uh, got any big stories for us this week, Tony? No big stories at all. Life goes on. The only thing we, I'll talk about it in a minute, but Credit Corp's first go to the blocks in terms of QAV stocks for its reports. Yes. Uh, its annual report. So um, I thought I might do a pulled pork on Credit Corp today. Oh, okay. Rather than one of our stocks of the week. Fine. Yeah. I've owned that stock for a while. It's been very good to me. So happy for you to give it a plug and then all of our listeners can go out and buy more. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the article that I posted on our Facebook group this morning, though, by Kerr Nielsen from Platinum. Did you have a chance to look at that? I didn't. No, sorry. That's fine. It was good. He was basically just talking about literally uh, how all of the trendy uh, tech stocks have uh, crashed and burned. And there were some good quotes from it that I thought I'd read out. He said, you will have come across lots of references to competitive moats, the virtues of platforms, two-sided markets and economies of scale. Right now, many of these concepts are being exposed as flatulent labels rather than adequate descriptors of the wealth-generating engine of great businesses. Free money and the convergence of external factors like the maturing of the internet, the widespread adoption of clever mobile devices and the emergence of cloud computing combined with global lockdowns have caused or allowed investors to intermingle their feelings with the facts. The incoming tide was so strong that those who protested against crazed optimism were cancelled for not getting it while the party goers celebrated their cleverness and transient gains. The new game in town was to address investment propositions in terms of TAM, total addressable market, rather than the drivers of profitability, which allowed investors unrestricted views of nirvana, while helpful ushers with an eye on the main chance of corporate advice kept the shimmering tray of magic mushrooms within easy reach of adult investors. Back to the more prosaic world of investing, it is not about the shiny new thing. In fact, investor focus on the shiny new thing gives rise to the tired old thing becoming unusually boring and neglected and consequently underpriced in terms of the formula described earlier. I thought some of that uh, rang true for uh, for QAVers. Absolutely. What a great uh, prosaic statement to make. I'm going to use flatulent labels myself going forward. That's a great line. I like that. And uh, helpful ushers with an eye on the main chance of corporate advice kept the shimmering tray of magic mushrooms within easy reach of adult investors. That's great. That's like uh, Hunter S. Thompson-esque. Matt it is, isn't it? It's very evocative. I have to pay Kerr Nielsen. We'll have to get him. I know we were trying to get him or somebody from Platinum on the show a while ago. We did have someone. We had one of the managers on, if I recall. Oh, was it Perpetual or Platinum? I always get them confused. Oh, it might have been Perpetual, sorry. Yeah, you're right. But we were talking to somebody from Platinum at some point. And, of course, topical too, Ken Nielsen sort of wind the clock back about uh, 10 or so years and he was the Hamish Douglas of um, the investing community in Australia and went through a divorce and people wondered what was going to happen to the company when the shares were held by the wife and all that kind of stuff. Right. Is uh, Hamish still the Hamish of Australia? Is, is he still at Magellan? <laughs> I saw a headline this morning saying he was gone. He's gone, gone. Uh, I don't know if he's gone, gone. He's taking sick leave, I think, understandably. Oh, right. Personal leave. Yeah. So anyway, that was Kerr Nielsen's article this morning in Share Cafe. I like that. Um, our portfolio is looking particularly good at the moment, Tony, both for the financial year. I mean, in, in not in real terms, 
I think uh, when I was doing the newsletters yesterday, it's up about 3% or 3.5% in real terms for the financial year, but that's about three times where the ASX 200 is at for the financial year. So compared to that, it's looking good. And you know that's what we've decided is the relevant benchmark. And uh, since inception, our portfolio is also performing at about three times the ASX 200. So that's uh, pretty good across the board right now. looks good. Yeah, no, it's pleasing. I agree. Well, the only other news that I had before we get into Q's and A's and Taylor's questions, if he uh, has the uh, cojones to ask them (laughs) in real time, try not to kick the desk there, young fella, was our stocks of the week this week. OEL, Otto Energy was my uh, small cap stock of the week. And um, ASX, we ended up picking as the large cap stock of the week. But um, I'd originally gone with Adairs because I thought they had ticked up out of their Josephine status. But you put the kibosh on Adairs. You said, no, you wouldn't touch it yet. You think it's still a falling knife. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's been a falling knife for a while. And I know that it has ticked up this month and its share price is higher than what the month end closed share price was last month. But if you look at the graph, it's still declining from its highs. So I personally wouldn't be buying Adairs at the moment. I know that uh, we need to come up with some coding for that, and I don't have it at the moment. But um, I think if people just eyeball the graph, they'll see it's a falling knife. And I'd, I'd want to see a, a bigger uptick before I had any confidence that it was going to kick on. So by coding, you're referring to wording for when, when a Josephine is no longer a Josephine. And the, the wording in the Bible does say that if it uh, – any uptick from where it closed at the end of the previous month is considered to be uh, no longer a Josephine and, and anti-Josephine. But uh, you have talked in the past about looking for a, a new byline, for it to cross a new byline before it comes out of a Josephine. Is that what you're uh, thinking more on? Yeah, exactly. That's that's more, I mean, again, I don't think I apply that rule even rigorously, but that would be a clear-cut signal, I think. If, if you looked at the high price and then found a second peak below that, even though it still might be in buy territory as Adairs is from a much earlier buy price. Yeah, I want to see the uptick cross over that new, I call it the second buy line, I guess, or the most recent buy line before I'd be convinced. Why is the old rule not good enough for Adairs, like the uptick? Is it just that it's been falling for such a long time now, like it's been falling for, I think, five or six months that um, a small uptick is not enough from a confidence perspective? Yeah, that's right. If you have a look at this graph on the way down, there has been upticks before and they've been false dawns. So at the moment, to me, it's it's meeting the criteria for a falling knife rather than a, a hockey stick type graph, which has been through some hard times and is now making a firm upturn. Okay. Well, thank you for uh, bringing that to my attention. Young fella. Yeah, question on that. Because I, I set up the new port. I did a checklist last week and then you were explaining to me that Josephine rule with that, with the uptick. Would that, for example, if it was down on the 31st and it's only just ticked up like on the second or the third and it's a very small uptick, is that enough to qualify it no longer as a Josephine? No, I don't think it is really. It, it depends on what the graph shape is. I mean, if it was going in a general uptrend and it had a, a down tick for a month and then ticked up, then I, I wouldn't say it was, a, I would say it was not a Josephine. But if it's been in the downtrend for a number of months, like a dares, and maybe it's gone sideways for a bit and then up, I would say it's still in the downtrend. So you draw a new byline for it. Is that what the strategy is? 
Well, there's no, like I said, there's, I haven't yet come up with hard and fast rules for this. We did put that rule that's in the Bible in there that if the current month is above the previous month's close and that's an uptick and that's no longer a Josephine. But I don't think that's good enough in the case of Adairs, where if you look at the graph, I mean, it's come back from a high of $4.78 in May of last year back to where it is today at $3.31. So it's come off quite a bit. And yeah, it has started to turn up again. I guess, um, do we have numbers? No, we're still using the old numbers, but I know it came out recently with a, a sales update as part of its confession season coming into its uh, announcement of results. So that must have had some good news in it. But uh, we've seen this before. If you look back at, let's say, November 2021, it went through a pretty solid run coming into Christmas and it's got to a, a high there of around $4 and it's come back 70 cents from there. So it's really just making new lows all the time rather than making new highs. But everything crashed in January. Yeah, it's been a struggle to find something that's not a Josephine, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, January was a tough month right across the market after that first peak. So, I mean, it looks to me like it's trying to recover back to where it was at the beginning of January, that first recovery it tried. But the market is so volatile at the moment that who knows, everything can crash again next week, right? That's right. If you say this is another Josephine and apply the literal rules, you can certainly buy it, but be prepared to sell it again as a rule one or even as a sell. What's its, what's its sell line? It was quite a bit above its sell line last time I had a look. Yeah, the sell line that I've got it come, has it coming in at around just over a buck. Yeah, right. So it's a long way off, isn't it? Is that sell line too long off if you have it down at a dollar or just over a dollar? Yeah, this is an age-old question. I don't think so, particularly, because um, the thing is, in a couple of months, the the current L1 is going to start rolling off and we're going to start using March 2020. So using a five-year graph will eventually reset that sell line, even though it's getting a bit long in the tooth now, but it's not very far off resetting. Oh, so explain to me the resetting. How does that work? Yeah, so if you look at the graph at the moment, L1 is back in May 2017, and then L2 is... COVID. COVID, yeah. Actually, it's the, yeah, March 20, COVID. So the one that's the L1, May 17, is about three months. It's on the left-hand side of the graph, and in three months' time, it won't be there anymore. And I think that will make the COVID cough the, the low point and we'll draw a, another line and it's going to be in sell territory in three months' time, unless it picks up. Ah, okay. That makes a lot more sense now. So, look, I'm not, using, I'm not trying to forecast. I'm not saying that's a reason to base decisions, but it's the reason why I'm not changing the sell line at this stage because it will change itself soon. That makes a lot of sense now. Why it doesn't? But it doesn't. Higher. Yeah, but it doesn't always work that way. And Taylor and I have had a number of these conversations over the last couple of weeks. That yeah, look, sometimes stocks have a very low sell line, mm-hmm. and rather than take profits, as we've been talking about in recent weeks, on the way down, you hold because you believe more often than not it'll turn around and um, come back up. Yeah. So, I mean, just again, using this Adair's example, at some stage it will rebound and it might be this reporting season and we might see it kick on from where it is now. And, you know, one of the reasons for that is because it's on our list, it's got good numbers. It's an attractive investment to make. I'm not that familiar with the stock, but I wouldn't mind betting that its um, sales decline has been because of COVID. So one day this war is going to end as the famous line and eventually People will go back to shopping in stores and stocks like Adairs will rebound. So if I did own Adairs, I wouldn't have a problem holding it because um, even though it's dropped from maybe 25% from its highs, it's still got a good chance of rebounding and getting back up to those highs as well. You know, son, 
One day, this war is gonna end. Sad. Colonel. That's from a name? movie that's way too old. Kilgore. Yes. Yeah. Kilgore. Apocalypse Now, man. You should watch it. It's a great film. Oh, Taylor, you haven't watched Apocalypse Now. You know, he won't watch any films that were made before he was born. Uh, the list of movies he hasn't watched would bring you to tears, Tony. Oh, no. It's funny. It's like I had a father that didn't show me any of them. Oh, your father who showed you Terminator when Left you were home, seven years old. Left seven home years old. when I was seven years old. And yeah, but I still tried to show you great movies. You went to went. get a carton of milk and I've only just seen him now. <laughs> So, Tony, I guess the, uh, the, that makes a lot more sense now because Dad and I have been arguing over that thing and he never mentioned there was a, there's a five-year rule to it. Because I've the, mentioned it like 20 times. <laughs> the biggest example I think I've been looking at over the last week is GWR. Mm-hmm. It went all the way up like, what was it, like 600% or something and then it came all the way back down again. And it was up there for, what was that, the better part of a year. The, I just looked now, pulled the graph up and it's – I think three months off also you using a new cell line and that would make it sell. Anyway, that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. And look, Taylor, this, we've spoken a lot about this in the podcast and these questions have come out before too. And people, I know some of our listeners do draw more recent cell lines to try and lock in some recent profits. My experience is that's a, a best of 50-50 deal because we tried out Fortescue Metals Group as the example that, that proves or disproves that rule. If you drew a much more recent sell line on FMG, it did dip down sort of halfway through the five-year upturn, but then it kicked on again. So you would have missed out on all that. So I know it can be hard to watch something come down from its highs and then wait for it to, to retrace those highs or even be forced to sell and you missed out on, on profits. But statistically speaking, applying these rules is still the best way I've found to make money. We won't always maximize your profits in these cases, but across the whole portfolio, it does maximize the returns. I don't know if you know, uh, me and one of my friends have been doing a checklist about once a week now for the last month. One of my friends and no, I. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't realize as soon as I said it. Sorry, it was, that was a public school. Queensland public school <laughs> education. Because you, you took all of uh, the public okay. school and, got, and invested it for the last... <laughs> Nice little callback. But yeah, I think that was the biggest one we didn't understand because I understand not selling and not not selling when it's up and letting it hit a sell line, but I guess understanding why five years and not three years on that sell line and to uh to make a new one. Five years or three years, that's a good question. I've never actually researched statistically which is better. That might be a question we can get Dylan to have a look at eventually, but five years, this is what I've always used and that produces the returns I get. Like I said, some people who listen to us, you know, try and draw more recent lines. They call them hug lines. So they're trying to hug the uptrend and take profits. And I think that's legitimate, but you have to also bear in mind that the stock may, you know, have a kick upwards and and could double from where you sold to that. So you have to be prepared to live with the vacuum missed out on the upturn that's eventuated. Because a lot of these times, um, the stocks are good. The good investments, and even though Mr. Market marks them down from time to time, they're still you know reasonably good long-term holds. So even though they have come back off their highs, like everything has at the moment, they still represent a good longer-term investment. Yeah, I guess the part I was struggling with was the whole gambling element of it, where it's like if you drew a slightly more aggressive sell line, you would walk away at least with some some profit off that. I understand the logic there, but I, I guess. But I was thinking about it. It's one of those things where I think I'm happier. If a stock goes up 100% and I sell it when it comes back down to 50, 
I'm happy, even if it goes up to 200, knowing I secured at least 50% on it. But that, that makes a lot of sense. No, I understand your thinking. Just, um, yeah, I mean, if you want to operate that way, do it. Let us know how you go because um, it's, yeah, I tend to find that the stocks rebound more often and they keep going down to their sell lines. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. I think I probably will find that out with time. I think it's one of those things where you have to figure it out yourself or see it to understand it or fully grasp it. It's not like you got to go through it. Or you just... Stop trying to think you're smarter than Tony <laughs> and you just that. do what Tony tells you to bloody do. If Tony told you to jump off the bridge, would you do it? Yes, if he told me that was the best thing for my portfolio, I would follow Tony. <laughs> I know you don't listen to your father, but listen to Tony. I think with everything and my philosophy for everything I've learned my entire life, or at least since I've left high school, is you can learn about 90% of it and then 10% of it you're just going to have to figure out yourself. Through trial and error. Absolutely. So I'm I'm not going to tell anyone to follow what I do blindly. I'm just saying if you do follow it, this is what the returns can be. So I'm not saying you can't double your returns by fiddling with it, but do it scientifically. You know, have a plan, have a reason, run some tests, run some trials and all that, and then um, then try. But look, getting back to GWR, it's an interesting example. I don't know if you've got the graph open for it there, but if you look at it, like it went back in sort of 2018, looks like it's about March 2018, it made new highs and then it came back down again. So you could have sold it on the way down, but if you had, you would have missed out on the, the big jump when it you know, sort of doubled from that 2018 high again. So it's a volatile stock and it does have a history of going up and down, but overall it's gone up. Well, interesting. Now, I'm just looking at this, so I don't even know if it's right. I would have like drawn a sell line maybe even from from that 2017 uh when's that june 2017 and then another point on 1st of january uh 31st of jan 2018 which would have mean you sold it i don't know somewhere around yeah 17 cents and then if you'd drawn another buy line then from the, the the peak down you would have bought it again as it's just come back up for that big peak yeah exactly because if you draw a line from that to there it would have yeah, that's exactly how you should have done it. But I, then I think then you probably uh, it's not day trading, but then you're just not not as long term. You're sort of having to actively be paying attention. Well, no, you've had two buys in five years, so it's not day trading, but it is maximizing your returns because you you know whenever you bought it, you sold out as you say in probably January nineteen or thereabouts. Gone off and done something else, and then come back into it in when's that towards the end of two thousand and twenty. And you're still well up on on that investment, even though it's gone up, it went up sort of 400% from there, even though it's come back, you're still up something like 80% from that original buy price. And that's assuming that you did buy back into it. Because as we know, once your portfolio is full, quite often you're not buying back into things because you don't have spaces, you don't have holes in your punch card left. So you've got to miss out on some things. I just want to point out that, uh, Tony, that's going into the Bible now, that if you're going to fiddle, do it scientifically. I think that's uh, scientific scientific fiddling. I know is going to be the title of this episode. It sounds illegal. Yeah, well, you know, it's certainly not what my Catholic priest told me when I was young. But if you're going to fiddle, fiddle scientifically. I think that's that's a bit of new wisdom from Tony. Well, it's true. I, I you know I encourage people to do their own thing if they have doubts. But yeah, do it scientifically, definitely. Tony encourages people to have a fiddle. Let's talk about your stock of the week, Tony. What did you say your drill down was going to be? I'm going to do a pull pork on Credit Corp. CCP? Yeah, just to run through the numbers quickly. So, And the reason for doing it, um, only, not only is it the first cab off the rank in terms of QAV stocks, but 
when we mentioned that, I think it was last week, in last week's show, the, the results came out and the share price went up like 9%, I think, and it's come back down again. So I, I did want to drill down into the numbers and make sure there was um, there was nothing too worrying there. And there's not, but it is at the very bottom of our buy list now. So there, there has been, I think probably we are lessening a bit in the quality score and maybe a rising in the price, but just to run through it. And by background, Credit Corp's been on our buy list for a long time. It's been a good stock. I've, I've owned it for decades. I think I, I sold it during the G, I had to sell it during the GFC, but otherwise I've held it for a very long time. It basically buys what they're called um, debt lists of banks and credit card companies and the like. Sometimes it gets them from gas and electricity utilities. But basically, they're after banks or the sellers of these debt roles have had uh, a first go at trying to recover the money that's outstanding, they give up and they say, well, it's going to cost us a lot to process, say, the last 20% of collections. We'd rather sell the, you cut our losses, sell the that ledger to a company who does it um, professionally and for a living and that's all they do and has the economies of scale to um, to make it more uh, viable for them to go after the last 20%. And that's what Credit Corp does. The reason that first attracted me to this company was I did go to a presentation at my stockbrokers many, many years ago, probably decades ago, and uh, maybe a decade ago, and um, had a good chat with the CEO. And he impressed me. And what, what impressed me about him was his, I guess, respect for the customers, probably the way to put it. So, you know, I'd made some silly joke about what size baseball bat did he take to the customers on his debt list and he was shocked and said they don't work that way. They work to get a relationship going with the customer. They work to try and help them budget. They work to try and help, uh, sort out their finances so they can meet the repayments. And he said they were that successful in doing that, that the company was now opening up a new division of lending those people uh, future credit because they had a good credit understanding of them, a good credit profile of those customers and had worked with them to repay the credit card debt, whatever outstanding debt there was. And they were now in much better financial shape and was therefore lendable again. And that business has grown over the years and it's now going into the US as well. So that's their sort of growth engine, I guess. So I've always liked it. I've always respected management. I think that it's it's very good management. But to run through the numbers, which is what I was focusing on today, it's a high ADT stock. There's just over $4 million traded on average each day. So it should suit all investors. I'm using numbers from the weekend when the share price was 31.93. It's a few cents higher than that today, but not much. But and it's less than it's uh, than the the um, consensus target for this stock, which is about $35.10. It's a borderline star stock and a star income stock, so it gets uh, half a point each for that in our checklist. I was interested to see it's a star income stock because the yield is uh, is down to 2.3%. So I'm not sure why it's a star income stock. Usually, Stock Doctor gives that status to companies that pay a high yield. So it's possible that in the coming weeks when Stock Doctor gets the end of reporting season and, and relooks at its uh, stock status for some of these stocks, it may lose that star income stock status, but we'll see. But anyway, financial health is strong and steady, so it scores for that. The um, price to operating cash flow is just over five times, so it's starting to get up there towards our limit. And interestingly enough, the PE is 23 times, so it's a high PE stock. So even though it's throwing off lots of cash, it still has lots of costs in there as well. So that's possibly also why it's getting towards the bottom of our QAV list as well, the buy list. In both cases, it's above IV1 and IV2, so it doesn't score for valuation there. 
and it doesn't score in terms of its um, net equity per share, which is around ten dollars. So it's it's um, three times that. So it's not a buy in terms of book value. It's not uh, growing aggressively. Uh, so it is growing, and the growth projection is seven percent, but it doesn't meet our hurdle of um, of one and a half times or a score of one point five for growth over PE. Directors aren't holding enough to qualify for a founder operator, which is a bit surprising, I thought, given that, uh, as I said before, Thomas Parigi is, uh, is a very good CEO. It isn't the lowest of its most recent six halves in terms of PE score, but it does have consistently increasing equity. That's probably one of the standouts for this company. It has been growing shareholder equity for a long time. So overall, it gets a quality score of 54%, which is quite low in terms of what we normally want to see. And uh, a QAV score right on our borderline of 0.1. So I, I suspect that one of the reasons why it's been hanging around this sort of low $30 share price for a while is that uh, it's not scoring well enough to be that attractive to people. So we'll see what happens in the future. If people want to get in, I, I mean, I still own it. I think you do, Cam. But it's, it, I think it quite possible with, with an increase in share price from here, which um, is always likely with this stock, uh, it does tend to, to creep up. In terms of price, I think it might drop off our buy list fairly soon. And we wouldn't buy it now because it's a Josephine. Is it? Okay, I haven't had a look. Yeah, closed last month up around, uh, let's see, 33.87, currently 31.97. Okay, yep. To compare this chart to the, um, what was the one we were looking at earlier? Oh, ADH. If this turned around... Now, would you anti-Josephine it because it only just turned down? Yeah, yeah, I would. It's not a falling knife. It's been going up from the COVID cough and, and I guess, you know, starting to slow down that rate of growth. But if it turned up now, I'd, I'd certainly take it off the Josephine list. So that's the difference between a falling knife and a, and a recent Josephine that might turn around. Correct, yeah. It's got, mind you, it's got a, as you say, last, it closed at, 30, just under $34. So it's just under 32 at the moment. It's, it's got to go up a reasonable amount to get back into positive territory and not be a Josephine at the moment. Oh, well, oh, no, I, was, I thought like the rule in the Bible is any uptick after the close of last month. Yeah. So last month's close was 33.89. It's currently 31.99. So it's got to go up two bucks. Oh, okay. So to be above that, it would need to go up. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Okay. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. If you're brand new, uh, let me just explain. We have a free episode and a premium episode each week. Premium episode normally goes for another half an hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from the audience. Um, I think this week's episode went for about another, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes. Um, and on that episode, we talked about uh, Joel Greenblatt and his use of leaps to get his investment return up to a very impressive 50% on average year after year. Um, when to sell after somebody uh, stock breaches its three-point trend line, whether or not MAM should be on our buy list, what to do with stocks we get from a demerger, how we basically uh, decide when to sell them, um, what to do at the moment with X MXI and their... Uh, rights issue. We talk a little bit more about uh, how to combine investing in property and shares and whether or not we need to check for a qualified audit if a stock is an ASX 200 or 300 company. If you're interested in checking out our premium shows and um, all of the other stuff that our club members get, go up to our website qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. 
get access to the checklist that we use and the getting started guide and video content and uh, our private uh, Facebook group for QAV club members where we talk about what's going on day by day um, and other stuff. Uh, check it out. Get two weeks free trial. See if you like it or not. If not, uh, or if you don't want to do that yet, if you're not ready, that's fine. Just keep listening to the free episodes we put out each week. With that, uh, I hope you stay safe, have a good week, good luck with your investing, and uh, we'll be back next time. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.